Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. I'm going to keep this one pretty brief, because I'm actually recording this ahead of time, going on travel um, <laughs> a lot in the next week. It's actually Friday, as I'm recording this, and camping out with my boys this week, this weekend for... Uh, Friday night and into most of Saturday. And then I get to go up to Vegas on a Saturday evening and going to a workshop up there, uh, which I'm missing the first couple of days to because of the uh, the camp out, but the camp out's totally worth it. Um, in Vegas till Thursday and then uh, come back, sorry, Vegas till Wednesday, come back and uh, then fly to Philadelphia for my uh, business meeting on Thursday and back on Friday. So I won't have any time to record next week in order to keep the uh, new schedule going. Recording it early. How about that? Looking ahead for a change. Um, so it's uh, Friday the 21st of February when I'm recording this. Uh, this video will come out middle of next week. Um, and so you'll be having only one or two days left on the story bundle visions of the future story bundle that this book pericles conspiracy is a part of and i hope you've checked it out so already if you haven't uh definitely do so um in addition to the books being sold there in the bundle um some of the other uh writers involved have given out bonuses like andy reed's given out uh free novella for uh, people who purchased the bundle and Leah Cutter is also doing a similar thing. I'll put the links to their their offers um, down in the show notes and uh, go from there. But that's uh, so something to check out um, because it's cool. Right, but that's not the real reason you're here. We're here to uh, continue reading the book. So we're this time, since the next three chapters are all fairly brief, I'm putting three chapters into this one. Um, Picking up where we left on with Pericles, and uh, let's get to it. Hope you guys enjoy. I'll talk to you again briefly on the flip side. Chapter 40. The Best Laid Plans Joe's head hurt. Again. The sort of hurt that comes from thumping her mind against the wall repeatedly for days without the wall giving an inch. It made her empathize with migraine sufferers a bit more, as piercing as the ache was. She looked across the table at Jervis and Isaac and scowled. This was getting very old. Hell, it was past old. It was decaying in a grave. It had been three days, and she had not seen the outside of the CFL building. Of its innards, she had seen little else beside the conference room where she had met Winston before, her quarters, and a small mess hall down the corridor. They had not let her back into the operations center. If she did not know better, she would have suspected they did not trust her and wanted to keep her from seeing anything more than she absolutely needed to. That makes good sense. Her smile deepened. Of course it made sense. She would probably do the same in their place. But what she is about to embark on was risky. If she was captured, again, 
their best hope would be for her to have only limited information that she could pass along to the NSA when they inevitably broke her. It was not a pleasant thought, certainly not one that she wanted to acknowledge or give credence to, however much she understood it. Now comes the hard part, said a voice from Joe's right. She turned her head and looked past Malcolm, who as always occupied the chair next to her, toward the last member of their small planning cell. A chubby woman of middling height who hailed from the Indian subcontinent from her facial features and skin tone, she wore her black hair down past her shoulders and had a severe face that made her look as though she was never content with anything. Her clothing was nothing to brag about, an off-white collared shirt and jeans that could have been bought at any department store. Her only jewelry was a thin silver necklace and a matching silver wedding ring. She was Jervis's second and his chief of operations, and she had displayed a remarkable penchant for details so far. I'm glad you think getting the incubator out of the lab will be easy, Shawnee, Malcolm replied in a wry tone. Shawnee rolled her eyes and glanced at Jervis, who smirked but remained silent. Up to this point in the operation, Shawnee said, it is not much different than other operations we've undertaken in the past. Malcolm's mouth opened, but she went on before he could speak. Tighter security, but the basic premise is the same. However, she looked between Malcolm and Joe with a deep, steady gaze. We never transported anything off-planet before. That's all been arranged already, Joe said, trading looks with Isaac. Right? Carl will pick us up and get us to Gagarin. From there, we just load the incubator aboard Agrippa and get underway. Just like that? Yes. Isaac cleared his throat. I have no doubt your man will come through, Captain, he said. My company has already begun making the arrangements that will see him where he needs to be. I'm curious, however, as to just how you intend to make off with a Starliner. Surely the passengers will object. Joe found herself grinning mischievously. That's why I told Winston we had plenty of time. She picked up a pitcher of water that rested in the middle of the table and poured herself a glass, then took a sip. It takes just over two weeks to fuel a Starliner for departure. The fueling process is potentially hazardous, so we don't begin loading cargo and passengers until the procedure is complete and the fuel tanks have settled. That means we'll have a window of about three or four days between the completion of fueling and onload. Shawnee pursed her lips. How long does cargo loading usually take? Joe shrugged. A week. After that, there are two days of underway preps and then off she goes. So if Agrippa is scheduled to depart on the 28th of this month, we need to be off the, by the 19th or try for the next ship. Joe nodded. Shawnee frowned. Joe could see her running the numbers in her head. It was the fifth now. Two weeks. Could they pull this off in two weeks? There were a lot of preparations to make, details to see to. They would not get much rest, but it was doable. It had to be. Jervis looked troubled. So you're thinking to take the ship during the fueling settling time frame? Joe nodded. Won't that be dangerous? I expect you have to let the fuel settle for a reason. Malcolm piped up. There is some risk of overpressurization and an explosion if the engines are brought online too soon after fueling. He held up a calming hand as Isaac opened his mouth to speak. But the risk is small, and there are procedural steps we can take to minimize it. There's an emergency reactor and engine startup procedure just for cases like this. He smirked. Well, not quite like this, but you get the idea. Jervis nodded slowly, exchanging a doubtful glance with Isaac. Okay, but you'll still need two days to get ready for underway. Joe shook her head. No, that's mostly for stowing consumables, moving the crew in, filling out paperwork. With just the two of us, we shouldn't need more than the minimal consumable load the company always maintains aboard the ship, and we're sure not going to file a flight plan. Fine, but surely you can't just walk on board a Starliner and fly away. There must be security. Joe nodded. 
There is. Only the ship's captain can authorize a reactor startup or disengage the docking mechanism. Okay, Jervis said, trading glances with Shani, who completed his thought. So how do you intend to get past that? Joe's smile stretched ear to ear. I'm Agrippa's captain. All eyes around the table widened. All jaws dropped in unison. It was brilliant. Harold Jameson transferred me from Pericles to Agrippa a few weeks ago. When he did it, IT added my account to the list of those with authority to get the ship underway. The silence that followed was not as satisfying as Joe thought it would be. Jervis, Isaac, and Shawnee all traded incredulous, doubting glances. Why doubting? Joe looked aside at Malcolm, who was staring at her as though she was daft. After several seconds, the silence became a bit too much. What? Joe, Malcolm said, you're not the captain anymore. I know that, so? Isaac cleared his throat carefully, so... <clears throat> he stopped and smiled apologetically. The company has certainly removed you by now. They won't be foolish enough to maintain a fugitive from the law on the security access list. Shawnee looked disgusted. Really, she said, her tone dripping scorn. This was your plan? She shook her head emphatically. Forget it. We're fucked if we do this. They didn't see, but then Joe should have expected it. None of them had the sort of access she had enjoyed. None of them knew the inner workings of McAllister's security like she did. She had to force herself not to stop from grinning even wider. Joe held up her index finger and wiggled it slightly. Shame, shame. I would agree with you, Shawnee, except for one thing. Shawnee's eyebrow crooked upward, but she did not speak. She merely gestured for Joe to continue her doubting frown, saying all that needed saying. Joe explained, Harry transferred me personally. I was with him when he did it, and I watched him enter his access code. The doubt left Shawnee's face, replaced by incredulous surprise, followed by a wide, conspiratorial smile. Beautiful. Chapter 41 Mazeltov Jackie pressed her finger against the call box controller and settled back into her chair to wait. Her heart beat rapidly. Part of her mind that was linked to her implant took note of the rapid beat and shouted an alarm. Her heartbeat was so much higher than normal for her resting state, but she ignored it. She simply watched the television display and waited, her heart literally in her throat. After what seemed forever, the display flashed to life, revealing a man in his mid-youth, just as Jackie was. Well-built, with a strong, handsome face and a winning smile, he could have been on the cover of a news zine. And he had been. His hair was bleached blonde, nearly white, but that was to be expected from a man who spent most of his time on a surfboard in the tropics. He never had been one for a real job, but somehow he was the one with all the money. Jackie pushed the angry thoughts that threatened to burst through aside with a grimace that she did not quite hold in. Jackie, the man said. Stephen, she replied by way of greeting. Is Celeste there? Stephen's lips turned down into a frown, an unnatural-seeming expression that turned his handsome, joyous face into something cold. Bitter. She's getting ready, he said. He glanced off screen and paused for a moment before looking back at Jackie with an expression that screamed accusation. This is a big day for her, you know. She cried for an hour when I told her you weren't going to be here. Stephen's words hit her like a physical blow. The last thing she ever wanted to do was hurt Celeste. She would cut her heart out before doing that, but... But duty called, and some things took precedence, whether Jackie liked it or not. And you wonder why you lost your daughter. That thought was too much like the accusation in Stephen's eyes. Just put her on. Stephen scowled, and for a moment Jackie thought he would just disconnect the call. Part of her would not have blamed him if he did, and she braced herself for the screen to go black. 
Instead, he nodded and said, Just a sec. Then he tapped something off screen, and his hold pattern flashed up on the televid. It was an image of Steven smiling and giving a thumbs up, riding a surfboard through the tube of a breaking wave, probably on the North Shore, knowing him. Several minutes passed before the televid sprang back to life. Celeste sat there, beautiful in her bat mitzvah dress. Her father insisted on keeping his traditions, even though Jackie had turned her back on religion. Her dark brown locks, so similar in tone to Jackie's own, pulled back from her face by a pair of barrettes. She looked sad. No, she looked angry. It was like a lance through Jackie's heart. Hey, baby, she said. Celeste snorted loudly. Don't bother, Mom. I'm not only talking to you because Dad made me. Celeste, I really wanted to be there, but if you wanted to be here, Celeste snapped, you would be. But you're not. And I'm the only girl whose mom ditched her on the most important day of her life. Oh, but there would be far more important days in the future, Jackie wanted to say, and I'll be at all of them. But she knew that would be small comfort, and maybe not even true. She had always told herself she would be there for Celeste, but it was one thing to lie to herself. It was another thing to lie to her daughter. I'm sorry, Jackie said, as plainly and honestly as she could. Once you know I'm proud of you. Yeah, whatever, Celeste said. Then the screen went black. Celeste had got the line. Jackie hung her head as tears welled up. She sat that way for a long time, or at least it felt that way, but when she raised her head and pushed herself back from the call box a glance at the chronometer on the wall, she had her implant chronometer turned off like normal. It was a terrible distraction. She found that only a couple minutes had passed. She stood and smoothed her blouse and slacks. Best not to look disheveled. Then she turned and strode through the doorway toward the rest of her office's working spaces. She did not look out the window adjacent to the call box. The view of Earth, continually spinning around like a dish caught in the vortex, had never set her stomach at ease. But today, of all days, the image of her home swirling around as she stood on a station tens of thousands of miles away on a mad quest to apprehend a woman who probably had far too much sense to ever show her face here, that image would have made her break down and weep for what she had given up to be here. As she drew a deep breath to calm herself, Jackie could not help but wonder whether it was worth it at all. Chapter 42 Underway Two vans Two vans did not seem enough to Joe's mind, not for the task that lay ahead. A half dozen people and all their equipment would completely fill the first. The second was mostly empty, to transport the objective, as Jervis had taken to call it. It seemed like a caper of this magnitude would require more. But then, how much help would more people be? Her crew on Pericles only numbered over a dozen because of the various crew members' children, and they had charge of the Starliner for an entire year. Not the same thing. But it was not that dissimilar in principle. A group of people working as a team to accomplish a goal. If the team became too large, the group dynamic would break down as dissent and social loafing interfered with operations. Joe understood that, but it was easier to accept that in the familiar environs of a starliner than here, well past the line of criminal behavior. Joe shoved the doubt aside. It just came from her own nervousness, a natural reaction to a wholly new set of circumstances. It was not an easy thing to do. She watched as Jervis's men loaded the last of their equipment into the vans. As they slammed the tailgate shut, she found herself swallowing despite the fact that her throat was dry. She felt like a new hire just getting underway for the first time. Or at least, she felt how she imagined they would feel, how they had described it to her. Having grown up on the Starliner, she never got to experience that apprehension. Not in the same way they did. 
Nervous? Isaac's tone was dry, but beneath that concerned, the way an older captain might feel for a pilot standing her first qualified watch on the bridge without an instructor to keep an eye on her. Joe smiled slightly at that tone and looked back at him. He stood in the doorway leading from the CFL headquarters loading garage into the building proper and was dressed simply in a white collared shirt and khakis. He seemed particularly partial to that combination. He met her gaze and smiled ever so slightly as she shrugged. I'd be lying if I said no, Joe replied. Isaac nodded. Good. Means you're not nuts. He walked forward to her side on a small concrete landing above a small flight of stairs that led down to the garage proper, where the two vans were parked. Though some here would probably disagree with that assessment. I might just agree with them. Isaac snorted. Or maybe he chuckled. Or maybe both. His lips turned upward more broadly as he patted her on the shoulder and gave it a gentle squeeze. The plan's good, he said. Simple, straightforward. Nothing fancy to screw it up, and you'll have our best people with you. You'll be fine. Joe returned the smile but shrugged. We'll see. Isaac was right. It was a straightforward plan, and as far as Joe could see, the greatest risk ran in the rendezvous with Carl. The closest civilian airfield to Camp Tycho was only a couple hours' drive away, just outside of Alice Springs. But that would be too obvious a place to go, so they had selected a field to the north, near Darwin. It was a long drive, though. The map predicted about 18 hours. A lot could happen in that amount of time. There are plenty of ways for the NSA to find them, and once they did, Joe suppressed a shudder. That did not bear a thinking on. What would be, would be. And she needed to focus on doing whatever she could to make sure the mission turned out well, not poorly. She turned her eyes back to the floor of the garage, where her team, dressed casually in clothes that would not garner any attention between here and Camp Tycho, was forming up. Jervis stood to the side, along with Shani. They would not be going along, of course. He had higher-level responsibilities to deal with, and Shani, well, she was not cut out for field work. That had become clear very quickly. For organization and planning, though, she was a whiz. To Jervis's right was a slight woman with graying hair and amber-brown eyes named Courtney, who, so the others in Brisbane said, could crack any safe or cipher known to man. Jorgen, tall, blonde, and ugly, with a face like a cinder block and a body to match, knew about computers and security systems. Thomas and Grant were brothers. They were both young and muscular, and they had the look of military men. It helped that they bore a number of weapons visibly, and likely many others that she could not see. From the word around headquarters, they were very good in the fight. And then there was Malcolm and her. Joe felt decidedly out of place and inadequate right then. That was a feeling she knew well. It was an old companion, often encountered, but rarely journeyed with for long. She encountered it as that scared, young, newly minted pilot who took watch alone for the first time, when she had conned the ship in the port for the first time, even under the captain's watchful eye, when she had taken command and every member of her new crew eyed her with uncertainty as they made their first assessment of her qualifications and her quality. She had proven equal, more than equal, to every one of those situations, but knowing that did not make the anxiety go away. It never did, not until it decided to leave of its own accord, not hers. But while it decided when exactly to do that, she had work to do. Joe cleared her throat and raised her voice. Are we ready? Silent nods from her team and a quick smile, somewhat forced she noticed, from Nalcom, who stood apart from the others a small distance, were the only response. Joe inhaled and paused, collecting her thoughts. This was one of those times when the leader is supposed to make an inspirational speech. She'd never been good at those. 
We got a tough job, she said, one I never thought I would be involved in. If you'd asked me six months ago, I was going to remain on Earth for another couple of years, treading water until my ship got out of the yards and I could go home again. That evoked some strange looks from the assembled people, planet-bound all. Few of them could understand how a ship was a cruise, and especially her captain's true home, no matter where they came from or how long they might stop planetside from time to time. I never wanted anything else than to travel the stars and see what was out there. I certainly never thought I would give it all up to get into politics planetside. A smattering of chuckles answered her. Courtney wore an open grin of amusement, the two brothers matching smirks. At least they had some sense of humor, that would be helpful. Joe paused again, a sudden upwelling of emotion forcing her to get control. She had never said it straight out like that. She would never again be the captain. At least not on a ship she did not steal. It was one thing to know it, it was something else entirely to admit it aloud to other people. She surprised herself in the depth the loss of that telling drew out from within her, so much for being at peace with it. Joe sniffed and forced a half-smile onto her face. But there are some things you can't turn away from, some things that make it impossible to just go along, safe in your own little world. Or at least there are for me. What's happening in that lab is wrong, more wrong than anything I've ever heard of before. Our first encounter with intelligent aliens and we treat their children like... She paused, suddenly finding herself out of words. The silence lingered for a long several seconds. Then she drew herself up and made her face hard, taking on her best Captain Means business expression. It has to stop. And we have to stop it. She was surprised by the applause as she walked down from the stairs to her waiting team. Not just from them, but from everyone present. The men who had manhandled the heaviest gear into the truck. Jervis, Isaac, the pair of mechanics who had just finished giving the vans a once-over. A few interested CFL members who had just come along to see them off. Everyone clapped for her little speech as though it had been the most inspirational thing ever. Even Malcolm was clapping. He wore a broad, proud grin as she stepped off the final stair. Great speech, he said quietly as he fell in alongside her. Joe snorted, but she could not help but smile. The anxiety was gone, eclipsed by a warm glow of satisfaction. It was time to get underway. Okay, well, I guess you can probably figure out why I arranged these three street chapters together. In addition to them being brief, they're all kind of lining up the pieces. Right, so everything's lined up, commencing, I mean, the operation. And, of course, looks like the bad guys have some things lined up, too. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Um, yeah, so chapter 42, there's 63 chapters in the book. So a lot of action still to come, and hope you stick around for it. I'm not going to talk your ear off too much uh, this time, just because not too much else to say. Uh, come back next week. And we'll do some more chapters. But definitely go check out that story bundle. Still a couple days. It goes through the end of the 27th of February 2020. Um, if you haven't, haven't checked it out yet, please do so. Uh, Storybundle.com slash sci-fi. And I'll put the link in the uh, show notes as well. And I go from there. But other than that, hey, come by say hi at michaelkingswood.com. There you can uh, shoot me an email if you want to. You can go to Facebook. Facebook.com slash Michael.Kingswood. I'm almost never there. Twitter, too. Again, don't like Twitter, but I have an account. It's, I'll get back to you at some point if you contact me on either of those two places. It just might take me a little while just because of I hate social media. <laughs> With that passion, it's 
poison for civilized society. But that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, but uh, if you go by the website, that's the best way to find me. And uh, you can, if you really want to know what's going on, you can sign up for a newsletter there where I put out uh, updates as to what's, what I'm doing. And uh, if you really like me, you can uh, become a member of the website and show a little extra support that way too. Uh, okay, um, I'm going to leave it here. Hope you guys have a great week. I'll talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>